Well, uh, as we said, we are back from Uganda. We got back, um, I don't know, when did we get back? Got back Thursday. Our days get all mixed up because they switch back and forth on you and your time switch back and forth on you. But we got back on Thursday, so we've had a little bit of time to recover. Um, and uh, we are really, really glad to be back. Uh, did you get a chance to see the video that we showed last week? We sent ahead all the kids greeting you and thanking you for your support. Um, that was huge. And uh, if you haven't seen the other videos, we, we were posting update videos on uh, the Facebook page for Raining Hope. So you can go there and check it out. We have several videos on there that show us in Uganda and all that was going on. So I want to encourage you to do that. One of the things that, that happened was as we were going on this trip, and every mission trip is sort of like this in a way, but this one seemed magnified more so like this. As Edie was training the team and getting us ready to go, basically she, she kept telling us because all of us had been before and we had had an experience before, so we sort of figured we knew what was going on. And, and she kept warning us and saying, listen, it's never going to be twice the same. And, and don't start getting comfortable and thinking that you know what's going on and you know what you're going to do. The big thing that you have to do is you have to stay absolutely flexible and absolutely available to God. And we kept saying, okay, so what exactly are we going to be doing each day so we could prepare and plan and bring the supplies that we need and do all that? And she said, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to be doing each day. We're not even going to know 90% of it until we get on the ground. Some of it will change even after we're there. So she just kept telling us this, be spiritually prepared. Be spiritually prepared. Be available. Do whatever God calls you to do in the moment. You'll get direction in the moment. You're going to have to be flexible and willing to serve however God asks you to serve. So we all try to go with that attitude and that preparation. And one of the things she told us is that in any given moment, you may be asked to stand up in front of dozens or hundreds or thousands of people and share your testimony and talk about what God has done in your life and how God is changing your life. So be prepared to do that which for me is not a big deal because I do public speaking all the time and I'm really comfortable with it. I'm really used to it. But we had this whole team of young ladies who were, who were sort of uh, mesmerized by the idea. The thought that you're just going to be pulled out and stuck up in front of people and told, speak. And um, so we really try to prepare and we really try to get ready for that uh, and to be available. And what was amazing is that every time God asked one of them to stand up and speak, they shared exactly what they needed to say, and God did amazing things. So in the spirit of asking people to stand up and speak, I'm going to put Kelly Marley on the spot, and I'm going to ask her to come up here, take a microphone, and tell us about her trip to Uganda and what it was all about. Welcome her with wild applause. Katie Baldwin is also on our team, and she is not here today. She had to leave this morning on a business trip, and so I said, you're not getting out of it that easy. In a couple weeks, you'll hear from Katie, but today you're going to hear from Kelly. So Kelly, tell us about what God did in your life and how he uh, touched people during the Uganda trip. That whole non-preparation preparation was the most terrifying thing that I have ever done in my life. I am a list maker, a list checker. I like to know exactly what I'm going to say before I say it to the point that when I, was, when I was in speech class in college, I was one of those who wrote out the whole speech and memorized the whole speech because I don't like to speak off the cuff. I don't feel like I do well. I don't feel eloquent. Um, so when we were told that again and again and again, you're just going to have to be spiritually prepared and God will give you the words you need. 
Scripture tells us that when we stand before princes and men, that God will tell us what we need to say in the moment. And we're like, yeah, yeah, that's good, God, thanks. I'm going to write this down. Um, <laughs> because it's terrifying to wait and see if the right words are going to come out of your mouth. Um, so when we landed late on Tuesday, Monday night, um, we had all day Tuesday in the morning to sit and talk with Doug as he prepared us before Edie came to get us. And he said, guess what? I've just heard from Edie that one of the first things that we're going to be doing is door-to-door -door evangelism in a little village. And you're going to give your testimony, and you're going to share Jesus with them, and you're going to go with a member from the church where the children of Reigning Hope attend, and you'll have one other partner with you, one of our teammates. Um, and I had Katie, and I was so glad because she's comfortable with me, and I'm comfortable with her, and we're like, okay, we can do this. We're terrified, but okay, we can do this. So the time came for us to actually meet with the people at the church. And we sit around with them, and we're talking, oh, yeah, we're going to go in the pairs and everything. And we start walking off into the bushes, <laughs> and it's, like, getting very rural. Um, and we're a little bit nervous, and Katie's nearby. And then this one woman says, there's a house over here. I'm going to go that way. Who's coming with me? And we're, like, like pairs. And she's like, no, just one. It's a small house. And we're like, oh. <laughs> But, but my buddy. <laughs> um, so I looked over at the girls, and they were, if anything, more terrified than I was. So I was like, I'll go. Okay, bye, guys. <laughs> I'll see you sometime, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so I go off with this lady. And I, she introduced herself to me. Her name is Shamim, and I loved her. Um, she takes me to this first house. She talks to the lady in Luganda for a few seconds, turns to me and says, this woman is a single mother. She's all alone, and go. <laughs> I'm like, oh, go, okay. And I'm thinking as I was walking just those few steps with her that my testimony is maybe not the one that needed to be heard right then. I came to know Christ at a very young age. I was uh, raised in a Christian family. I've never done anything wild and crazy. Um, and God has just drawn me closer to him through my life. And that's a good story. It's a good testimony. It's his story. Um, but at that point, I really felt God was saying, nope, you're just going to share the gospel. I hadn't prepared that at all. Those hours we spent with Doug were preparing our testimonies. You know, I had given my story, and they all gave me pointers and everything. I was like, oh, the gospel. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to do this. Okay. And so as I started, it was amazing. The words came to my mind. And of course, we know the gospel. It's a simple story. And we tell our children, and we've, those of us who have been raised in the church, we know the stories. But I had never put it together that way before. And yet it just came out. Like, it wasn't awkward. It wasn't, like, stilted. I didn't cry. And I usually cry all the time when I'm speaking. And yet, it just came out, and this woman was blessed just by the fact that I was there and sharing with her. She stopped and listened. And so then, Shamim takes me to the next house, and she talks to the person. She turns to me, he's Catholic, go. I'm like, okay. <laughs> next person, there, you know, this, go. And every time it was different, and every time God gave me something different to say. I couldn't just, like, memorize what I'd said before in a hurry, like, okay, what did I do? Quick, quick, quick. Um, Every time it was different, and he gave me the words every time. And something that I told my team that I was, I was surprised that I was surprised that God did what he said he would do. You know, Doug's been teaching us about faith matters and how faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do. And that's easy to nod to and say, yes, you're right, he will. 
but living it out was amazing. So the door-to-door the -door evangelism, if you can't tell, was a highlight for me. <laughs> as much as I was terrified of it, it was a highlight. I got to pray with nine people to accept Jesus, which was super cool, and here I cry. <laughs> and all I kept thinking was, after I'd tell them my, you know, stilted gospel story, and then Shamim would be like, they want to accept Jesus. I would think, that worked? <laughs> like, I don't know. like, it was a surprise to me, but I was super blessed. Uh, the whole trip, we got to see the Reigning Hope kids every evening, and that was such a blessing to my heart, to deepen the relationships that I'd had from last year, and to see them go from just being, you know, a joyful group in comparison to others in Uganda, to seeing their faith raised so much as they've watched God provide the house for them this last year and provide all of their needs. They have that joy just the same as they did last year but they have this like confidence in God, which was amazing to see and just a blessing to be around. So I will let Doug tell more about the trip, but I was just super blessed at how faithful God is. Amen. So I wanna just piggyback on what Kelly was saying and, and begin by saying this. When you send a, a missionary team out into the mission field, or even you send, say, a family out to, to be a full-time missionary family living in another country, working with people, and you send them out as a church, you know, you pray over them as you guys prayed over us, and, and, and you send them, and they go, and they do the missions work, and at least that's how we think of it, but that's just not how it is. It's so different than that, what, especially at this church, because you guys don't just send us out and we go and then we come back and, and give a report, but you are an absolutely essential part of the team. And, and some, of you, some of you committed yourselves to praying every day for the team, for what God wanted to do in Uganda, for the children of Raining Hope. Some of you are people who uh, wrote big checks in order to help support those who are going and doing all of that. A whole bunch of you wrote encouragement cards. And I, I say this every time I come back from a mission trip because every time I do this, I'm blown away at the support system that we have here at Grace Fellowship. You don't know what it's like when you're 10,000 miles away from home and you don't know what's going to happen that day and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're looking forward to what God's going to do and you're trying to get focused and you open up a card and it has a verse in there that is exactly what you needed to hear at that moment at that time or it has a word of encouragement from somebody back home to remind you that you're not all alone, but everybody is on this team together. Um, and so I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and let you know that whatever good things God did while we were in Uganda, He did through you. And it's just an awesome thing that we all get to be a part of that. Amen? Also, before I jump into telling about my story, I just want to say uh, Edie is here with us. Stand up, Edie. Stand up. I'm not going to make you speak, but... I also want to say on behalf of the church, thank you for leading the team. Thank you for all that you're doing for Reigning Hope. You know, you've just really become a part of our church. We love you. We're grateful for you. And it's such a blessing for us to, to just come alongside of you and do ministry together. So thanks for being here. Um, it began for me at LAX, really before that, because uh, Edie was in Uganda for a week before we got there. So this is the first time for me 
leading a team to Uganda. And so Edie said, okay, you're going to lead the team. These are the things that have to get taken care of. Gave me some direction, gave me some pointers. And essentially, I had all this responsibility on my shoulders that I am not used to having and didn't really want. And I'm going, okay, so I'm responsible for all of every... I had everyone's passports. I had everyone's shot records. I had everyone's boarding passes. I had to go on and get everybody registered on the plane and get the seats all picked out. I had to make sure that everybody had the right number of bags and that we had all the bags marked and that they weighed exactly 50 pounds or less so we could get them on the plane. We had all of these extra bags because we had to take resources with us for the ministry trip. So every one of us was taking extra bags with us. Some of the bags we were taking, we had never even seen before. They were packed and handed to us. And, you know, if they ask you that question, did you pack your own bag? You're like, um, kind of. And, and so we had these bags and we don't even recognize these bags. And I'm sitting there, we're, we're waiting for the team and everybody's coming together by the counter where you put the bag on and you get checking in. And I'm just counting bags going, do we have all the bags? Do we have all the bags? And there's thousands of people running around and they're all setting bags down. And I'm like moving people's bags away from our bags because I have bags to take care of. I'm a luggage guy and I'm keeping an eye on the luggage, making sure everything happens. And I just remember the sense of relief I had as I watched one by one, these people go and put these things on, get the tags on them and they went away. And I looked down and and all we had was our carry-ons. And I went, ah. Oh. And it hit me in that moment that it is amazing how much pressure it is to carry extra baggage. And what a blessing it is when you let go of the extra baggage. And it was just like this whole spiritual moment for me at LAX. And I was just like, oh, thank you, God, that I get to hand off my extra baggage to you. You know, the Word of God says that if we... Um, cast our cares upon him, he will take them because he cares for us. And there was just such a sense of relief that had, was, had to do with more than just suitcases for me, to know that I can hand my needs off to God and, and he will take care of them. So that was an awesome situation. So we finally get on the plane. Uh, roughly 24 hours later, we find ourselves in Uganda. So I don't know if you've ever been on one of these kinds of long trips, but basically we're flying British Air, so we fly from LAX to London, which is like 11 and a half hours, which doesn't sound bad. You're just sitting. It's not like you have to carry the plane or anything, right? You're just sitting. I don't know if you've ever sat in one uncomfortable seat for 11 and a half hours, especially if you're my size. It's particularly enjoyable. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, you sit in the seat for a long time and you go, oh, okay, now we're in London. Now we get to sit in the London airport for three hours, get on another plane and fly eight and a half more hours just to land in Entebbe, which is not actually very close to where we're going in Jinja, which is on the other side of the country. And so we have all this distance to travel, and it takes us about 24 hours just to get to Entebbe. We arrive in the middle of the night. Someone greets us, picks us up. We don't know this guy. He's taking us to a guest house where we're going to stay. He has brought a van from the guest house, and he has rented a taxi van. And so there's a taxi guy. We're loading in there. We're loading in the van. We split up the team, put them in the two different vans, and I get in the taxi van, and the team, um, the hotel van takes off, and the taxi guy is still getting ready and all this kind of stuff. And at that moment, for the first time, it occurs to me, I don't know where we're going. I wonder if he knows where we're going. 
certainly hope he knows where we're going, because otherwise we may be driven off to the bush and never be seen again. And I had no idea what was happening. But God finally got us back together with the other van. We showed up at the guest house uh, where we were going to be picked up in the morning. We immediately went to bed, tried to get some sleep. We get up in the morning, I get a message from Edie saying, hey, we were going to pick you up in the morning, but we're having some delays with the van, and so it's going to be later in the day. So let me just tell you, you're going to be doing cold call door-to-door evangelism, so get the girls ready for that. That's what you could do all morning. So we spent our time going over our testimonies and getting prepared, and me trying to talk them into not getting on a plane and going home in order to avoid door-to-door evangelism. And... um, By the afternoon, Edie and Godfrey showed up, and Godfrey is the pastor who leads the ministry there in Uganda and works with the kids and and, and runs Reigning Hope, and he has become an incredibly close friend to me, and it was just such a joy to see Edie and Godfrey that day and just to go, okay, we're here, we're ready, the team's together, and um, to head out. It took us all day because you have to go through Kampala. Kampala is a city of about three to four million people with one traffic light. You have, I can't even begin to explain to you what it's like to drive through Kampala in the middle of traffic time, um, but it is an interesting, it, 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 let's just say it improves your prayer life. That's, that's what I could tell you about that. But it took us literally all day to get back to Jinja, and so now we had, we'd been really traveling for two plus days by the time we finally got to Jinja where we're going to be doing ministry checked into the hotel. We met with Edie. She told us, listen, uh, here's what tomorrow is going to be. We're going to get up in the morning. This hotel that we stay at is called Paradise on the Nile Hotel. It is literally situated on the banks of the Nile River, right where Lake Victoria feeds into the Nile and where the Nile River begins. And then the Nile River literally flows north all the way from Uganda, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, uh, over 4,000 miles. And um, it all begins with a little spring that's bubbling up in Lake Victoria right there. That's where the hotel is. And so it's this beautiful setting, and we're there. And the hotel is an amazing place. Um, you know, by our standards, if you, if you were on vacation and you checked into this hotel, you'd be sorely disappointed. You would say, wow, this, is, you know, this makes Motel 6 look like a palace. But in many ways, it, by Ugandan standards, it's amazing. I mean... It is really, really clean and well taken care of. The staff is incredible. And by and large, the staff is made up mostly of Christians. They love God. They're totally invested in helping mission teams that come there. The owners of the hotel are two of the godliest people I have ever met, and I just love them. And they just serve and meet your needs. So it was great to be in the hotel. One of the cool things about this hotel is that every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, the whole staff gathers in the morning and they have devotions together, and they have a worship service to begin their day as a staff, just sort of get their heart right. And so Edie said, you guys are going to be leading those services. And we said, okay. And she said, the first one starts in like 12 hours, and so we need two of you to take that on. And so two of us stood up and took that on, and we had hotel um, devotions with the staff every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday while we were there. After we did the uh, devotion with the staff, we loaded in the van, and we drove to an elementary school. Now, the elementary school is the school where the Reigning Hope children attend. It's a public school, okay? And so they had invited us to come. Godfrey had made arrangements for us to be there. And when we got there, they had all 700-plus kids um, assembled on a lawn, 
and the kids were cheering wildly to see us come, and we show up, and we basically said to them, well, what do you want us to do? And they said, preach the gospel. Now, I don't know what you do at your public schools, but um, it was so cool just to be in a place where they said, listen, these kids need Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. And so we gathered the kids together, we introduced ourselves, we split them into groups. First and second graders over here, two of our team, go with them, do something to share the love of Jesus with them. And, uh, and that, I think that was Kelly and Katie, right, with the little ones, which is awesome because they're both children's ministry workers who are so great at that. And so they came up with games and songs and a gospel story, and they did all of that. And on no preparation, God gave them what they needed. Third and fourth graders, you guys go over here. Shannon and Desiree took them, which is great because Desiree is a third grade teacher. That was exactly what she was ready for, and they did that. And then Melanie and I took the fifth and sixth graders, and we had an assembly of the fifth and sixth graders. You see them here. Um, there's a couple hundred of them in this room, and they range in age probably from, I don't know, uh, 11 to 15, um, because you don't they don't all start school at the same time and they don't all get to go to school uninterrupted. So they just put them where they go based on their academic level. You have all these different age groups. And we did some fun things with them. And then um, I stood up, opened my Bible and shared the love of God with them and told them about a God who is able to do anything and deserves to be worshiped and asked them if any of them wanted to give their lives to him. And half the hands in the room went up and kids all over the place prayed to give their life to Christ in a public school with me with a Bible in my hand preaching the gospel. It was incredible. And, and, and then we got to meet with the with the teachers and the staff and even the, what would we call him? Like the president of the school board? That, whatever that guy was, commissioner, whatever they called him. He, he was like, he was a muckety-muck. His, his face was on the calendar that was hanging on the wall in the classroom, which he pointed out, that's my face. I said, yeah. <laughs> he was a Muslim and yet invited us in to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the school, thanked us for coming. We, we gave the school a Bible, which he accepted on behalf of the school, and he's a Muslim. You think God's not able? Our God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even think. It was so great. So we got to share with them. Then we, we loaded up, went and got a bite to eat, headed over to Glory Be to God Church, which is the church that the Reading Hope children attend, and which, which Edie has, knows a lot of the people. The owners of the hotel are leaders in that church, and so we've gotten involved in that church. Last year, I got to preach in that church and get to know a lot of the people, and then this year, they invited us back again. And when Edie asked them, what do you need us to do? They said, we need you to go with us to do door-to-door evangelism, which Kelly was telling you about. And it was amazing. We, we gathered, we sat down to hear about what we we're going to do. All of them just really scared and uncomfortable. You talk about outside your comfort zone, right? You think I'm going outside my comfort zone. I'm going all the way to another continent, right? And, and I look different and I speak different and I eat different food and I have different customs. I want to be as far outside of my comfort zone as I could possibly be. And they say, oh, and while you're there, you're going to do cold call evangelism door to door, which is kind of a silly way to even say it because there were no doors in the villages where we went. We're talking about extreme poverty. These people were blessed to have some sort of building. The buildings differed, but they were mostly rock and mud kind of huts, little like maybe something from here to that back wall and about 15 feet wide would be like six apartments. So 
there would be a family living in each sort of room. And there would sometimes be a curtain over the entryway and sometimes nothing. And the cool thing was, uh, they don't have the same distractions we have. They don't have electricity, so clearly they don't have cable. Um, they didn't even have running water. And so when you come to visit them, we're thinking, if someone knocked on my door and I looked out the window and saw it was some religious guy who wanted to share his religious story with me, I would find myself suddenly not home, right? But when we came, they were so thrilled, I think, just to have something to do. They were like, sure, we'll come out. They would go in the home and get everybody out and sit them down on the ground, and we would share the gospel with them. And over and over and over, we saw people just, just under the conviction of the Holy Spirit giving their lives to Jesus Christ. In the two days that we were there doing this, this kind of evangelism, in this little village, we saw over 30 people come to know Christ. And, and all of their names written down and recorded and where they live, and the church is now following up with them. We saw some of them in the worship service on Sunday morning, the, the following Sunday when we were there. So amazing what God does. Um, and, and if there's a lesson I took out of that, that I think will help you, it's this. I'm always saying this, and you all nod your heads, and I just still don't think you believe it. Um, it's not just the pastor's who are gifted to do ministry. God has placed you wherever you are, given you a story about how God changes lives, and he can use that story to change lives. To hear Kelly and Katie and Desiree and Shannon and Melanie standing there and sharing their stories with people and seeing people's faces change as our hearts began to open to the Holy Spirit. It was such a reminder that God places us where he places us and he gives us relationships with people. You have an opportunity to touch lives. Don't be afraid. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story to tell and he can use even your testimony to change lives. So we finally got to go that night and see the Raining Hope kids, which we were chomping at the bit to do. And it's such an awesome thing. When you get there, um, I don't have any pictures of this. When you get there, you, you pull up in this van and the kids come running from everywhere and you hear the sound of them and their faces are just glowing and they run up alongside the van. I keep thinking, we're going to run over children. I know we're going to run over children, but somehow they don't get run over. And they come up to the van, they open the door and you don't even get to get out. They get in and start pulling you out and they're hugging you. And it's like, wow, this is the greatest welcoming committee on planet earth. And they just make you know how much they love you and there is no pretense in it. It's real. And the joy that they exhibit blows your mind and you scratch your head and you, you think you know the answer to this, but you're still surprised. You go, how do they have so much joy? They don't even have a PS3. They don't, they don't even have a TV. They don't even have a cell phone to take pictures and selfies with their friends. How can they have so much joy? They live in poverty and they don't have this and they don't have that. You know what they have? Jesus. And he fills their lives and they're not distracted by all the other clutter that competes with, our, with us for our attention. And so God just has their hearts and these kids, they love you and, and they're willing to be loved. And it's just amazing, the connection. What a reunion. And the thought that I had that night was what a difference a year makes. And so we were there a year ago, and uh, they were in a different house that was being rented. It was not being well kept up. There was all kinds of stress with the landlord. Um, there was all kinds of insecurity related to that. And yet, 
they had joy, and it blew our minds that they had so much joy. And as Kelly was alluding to, it wasn't this time just that they had joy. It was that on top of the joy, imagine what's happened for them in a year. They moved out of that situation. They are now in a house. You know, I don't know exactly how to describe it. You know, it's African. The house is not like your house, but it's incredible. I mean, it's fully equipped. It has everything they need, and it's huge. There are 32 children there, plus staff, and there's room for everybody. And God has provided this for them, and all the money came in from all over the world. People gave, and God just bought them this house, gave them this house. He's now situated them in this community, and they are now in good schools and seeing God do amazing things. And it's not just that they're joyful. It's that they're hopeful. It's that they are um, confident. Maybe that's a great word. They are confident that God is doing something in their midst. They see him working, and they know that he's going to do even more. And so that's been an incredible thing for us just to, to see that. What a difference a year makes. Um, Thursday, we did uh, more door-to-door evangelism, and then we got to go and be with the kids. We got to visit a hospital. There's a hospital that's sort of outside of town a little bit. Um, and this is the place where when the kids get sick, Godfrey brings the kids. Now, if you're a parent and you have a child, you probably haven't had your child have to visit the hospital in a while. It's an unusual thing when we have to take one of our children to the hospital, but there it's common. They get malaria all the time. They get typhoid all the time. They have serious medical issues and they have to be treated, but, the, but with the level of poverty, most kids don't get treated and they just die. They just die of preventable disease. They get the flu and they die because there's no medical care for them. So there's this hospital, maybe to us it'd be more like a clinic, but they, we got to go to the hospital. This is the hospital that treats our kids. Godfrey is there all the time bringing kids through and they're getting treated. And sometimes when Godfrey brings them, he doesn't have any money to pay. And he has to say to them, listen, I'm going to have to contact the states and ask for money and I'll have to be wired ahead. And they run a tab for the Raining Hope kids at this hospital, trusting us to pay the bill, which is unheard of in Uganda. If you don't have money, you don't get treated, but they do for the Raining Hope kids. And so we got to meet the leaders of the hospital, the administrators, the doctors, and talk with them, do a whole tour of the hospital, and just bless them and pray over them and thank them for what they're doing for the kids of Raining Hope, which is pretty awesome. Um, Friday, we did uh, staff devotions again, led those devotions. The ladies on the team that led the devotions did an amazing job. And then later that day, we did something really cool. I think it was that day. We had um, a reception at the hotel for the hotel staff. They had never imagined anything like this. Hospitality is their thing. They wait on you. They serve you. They take care of you. And we told them, listen, you show up in this banquet room and we are going to wait on you, serve you, and take care of you. And we're just going to thank you for all that you've done. And they came and we had food for them and drinks and, and just this great atmosphere. And we stood up and began to share with them the way that they're touching our lives and how we see them doing kingdom work. And they were so blown away. It was like no one had ever told them that before. It was like they had no idea that the things they're doing when they make your bed or cook your meal, that they're actually supporting the work of the kingdom. And mission teams are able to do what they do because the people at the hotel do what they do. And so we encourage them and thank them for that. We got a chance to um, give them this plaque that you see here. This is Mr. and Mrs. Otile, the hotel owners. We gave them this plaque 
And uh, later, Edie went into the administrative area, and there on the wall, they have a picture of the king of Uganda, and they have a picture of the president of Uganda, and in between in the center is the reigning hope plaque that just says that it's all about the kingdom, the kingdom of God trumps the kingdom of men. So it's pretty awesome. So we got to do that. Um, we, uh, we just saw the ripple effect of how just the little things we do touch lives and that changes the world. And that's what's happening through that staff. Well, Saturday came along and that was the big day. That was the day that the house was being dedicated. And Godfrey and the kids had done tons of work and tons of planning and tons of preparation. They had rented tents and chairs and set them up all over. They had invited dignitaries and pastors, people from the hospital, people from the hotel, people from the schools, you know, just people. And, and here's one of the coolest things. A lot of the kids at Raining Hope are orphans, and a lot of them are not orphans. A lot of them actually have one or even sometimes two parents, but those parents are in such poverty or the situation in the home is so abusive and dangerous that the kids can't be raised by their families. So they go to Raining Hope, and, and basically their families just take their hands off and say, okay, you, you raised my kid. And, and they're thrilled to do it because they know that their child has a chance. They're going to get an education. They're going to get medical care. They're going to get loved on and cared for. So they send their kids to Reigning Hope. And so we actually invited the parents. So the parents of these kids came, and they got all dressed up in their best clothing, and they came. And a lot of them had never seen anything about Reigning Hope, didn't know what was going on in the lives of their kids, hardly ever see their kids. And they got to see their kids sing and dance and worship and uh, preach and share testimonies and praise the Lord, and they were blown away. And you should have seen these moms just running up to Edie and throwing their arms around her and just weeping on her neck, thanking her for the impact that they're having in the lives of their kids. It was really cool. Um, one of the neat things at the, at the dedication was uh, there's a young man named Peter, and um, he was a reigning hope kid. Um, but when he reached adulthood, he moved out, went back to Rwanda where he had come from, and uh, he has a heart for Rwanda because of all the unrest and all the corruption there, and he's been going to law school, and he's now this close. He's in his last semester getting ready to graduate from law school. He came all the way back on his own dime from Rwanda to come to this dedication. We handed him a microphone. He shared what God had done in his life through Reigning Hope and how that had prepared him for what God was now doing in his life and how he's now working as a lawyer pending his passing of the bar exam and how he's being used by God to change Rwanda and you should have just seen the Raining Hope kids' faces while they were listening to their big brother talk about what God had done and thinking of the opportunity they were given by being a part of Raining Hope. So it was just an incredible day. It just went on and on that we had all of this food, you know, just picture this is, people don't get much food there. You, you know, you eat maybe a little potato or a little um, banana mix kind of thing and you get what you can in a day, and a lot of times people don't eat in a day. And we had a feast. Picture a wedding reception. That's what it was like. And you go through this line, and they're just piling stuff on your plate. None of it is recognizable to me. And they're just piling it on, and I'm thinking, I don't think I'm going to like that. I don't th they're just loading, and your plate's getting like this, and you're carrying your plate to the table. And all of us, we sit down at this table because they give us this table of honor in the front, and we're all sitting around this table, and I'm looking at the girls on the team, and they're all looking at their food and looking at me, going, do we have to eat this? <laughs> and I said, yes, every bite, eat every bite. Um, but it was just amazing the way that the celebration went off, and the coolest thing about it was, through it all, 
God received all the glory. It was all about him. Everybody pointed people to God, and he received all the glory. So it was pretty awesome. That night, they had a celebration. After everybody went home, we stayed with the kids, and they, they put Edie in a chair, and they put a blindfold on her, and they, they led her by the arm because this was Edie's 20th trip, and they were celebrating the anniversary of her 20th trip to Uganda, and all the kids, they had a cake for her, and um, they blindfolded her, and they brought her up, and um, they were singing songs of praise, and um, they took the blindfold off, but she blew out the candles, and then... Um, one of the young men there, Fred, is a tremendous artist. And uh, they came forward. What Fred had done was painted a portrait of Edie, which they gave to her to take home. So it was really a cool thing just to encourage her about the, the impact that she's having in their lives. So we got to rejoice with that. We got up on Sunday morning and we went off to church. We were at Glory Be to God Church. You know, I would say the last time we were there, there was maybe 250 people there. Uh, it's been a year. There was probably over 400 in the main service and another 200 kids in the children's ministry. And so God just continuing to bless as they go about ministering to the people in the villages, sharing the gospel, praying for the sick, helping people, all the things that they're doing, and God is blessing it. So I got to preach there with Godfrey translating, which was fantastic. The whole team took all the kids, went out and did this amazing Sunday school thing with the children. Um, and God just worked. God just did his thing. And it was amazing. We got to then go and have time with the Raining Hope kids all afternoon. And then that night, the Otiles, the owners of the hotel, took us all to dinner. And they just wanted to bless us and to thank us for coming. And they took us all to dinner and we got to do that. We got up Monday morning. We had hotel staff devotions again. And then we headed out to the Nile River where we boarded a boat um, Something closer to a big canoe, really. And um, we got on the Nile, and uh, we traveled about 45 minutes on the water, and we beached the boat in this rural spot where there's just nothing but bushes and plants and sort of jungly area right on the edge of the water. And Raining Hope owns this land right there. And God gave uh, Raining Hope the opportunity to purchase this land a few years ago. And originally, they were thinking we might build a house there. But now we've been able to get the house in town. And it, that would be a terrible place to build a house because all of the infrastructure that they were going to add there, they didn't add. And so now what we have is this land out there. Like, what do we do with this? So they've been letting someone farm the land. So we went out there to visit the land. And, and it was so awesome. This line of... Um, young American women in dresses down to their ankles, walking through the wilderness of Africa and, you know, the wondering if lions are going to jump out from behind the bush or whatever. And we went off into the bush and we came out and we see this farmland. And it's the land that God has given to Raining Hope. And what's going to happen is that now that they have the house set up, Raining Hope is now going to begin um, farming the land, growing their own food so they'll be able to support themselves and selling some of the food, hopefully, even in the market to provide for them financially. So that's pretty awesome, too. And we got to be there and just pray for the land and the work, then meet with somebody, then get all of that set up, then headed back, um, got to go and spend time with the kids again. Now, um, every time that we spent with the kids was precious because every day relationships were being built. 
And because we had been there the year before, there were already relationships in place. And so it was just getting deeper, and God was doing amazing things as a team spent time investing in the kids. And really, you know, people say this, and you wonder if they mean it. We mean it. I'm sure we got as much from them or more than they got from us. And it's just awesome to be there with them. Um, on Tuesday, uh, it was time to sort of tie up loose ends, get a bunch of stuff done that needed to get done. Then we went back to Raining Hope and we spent time with the kids again. This was going to be our last night with them because we were going to be leaving the next afternoon. And so um, the last night is always difficult because you, you know, it's like ripping your heart out to leave these kids. They've become close with the team. The team has become close with the kids. And so, you know, it could become just a blubbering mess of everybody weeping and, and all that kind of stuff. And so Edie knows that, so she prepares the team. And she goes, and she prepares the kids. So the kids know how they're going to handle it. The team knows how they're going to handle it. And basically what happened at the end of the night after we had worshiped together and spent time together and played together and enjoyed one another, they put the team in the middle of the room and we're all sort of, you know, it's like, I don't know, 90 degrees and... 190% humidity, and we've all been jumping and bouncing and dancing and praising God. I don't know if you got to see me dancing in the video, but it was pretty good. And, um, and we're all sweaty, and we're all like holding hands in this circle, and everybody's in, and the kids just surround us, and they just lay their hands on us, and they all begin praying out loud at the same time, and it's just this cacophony of praises going to God as they're praying over us, asking God to bless us. And they prayed over us and somebody said, amen. And we gave the Lord a, uh, applause. And then the kids went out the doors and they made two lines like cheerleaders for a football team. And, and they made a line all the way to the van. And we started going through the, through the lines, high-fiving all the kids as we went through. Meanwhile, the kids are chanting from the book of Joshua, be strong and courageous. And they're just chanting, strong and courageous, strong and courageous. And we're high-fiving them. We all get in the van. The kids are cheering. They slam the door of the van. We drive out the gate and we all burst into tears. And it's okay <laughs> because we got through the time with the kids without turning it into a mess for them. And so we get through that night. We get up the next morning, do devotions with the staff, pack up, get in the van, and by God's grace, because the house is now right on the way to the airport, we just make a little turn, pull into the gate of the house, kids come running out, we get to hug them one last time, pray with them, and head out. And we headed out to the airport and uh, then spent the next day and a half traveling. And uh, the highlight of that, and I'll wrap it up because then I'm going a little bit late, thank you for being patient, but the highlight of that for me, was the trouble that we ran into in Great Britain, because our, our plane had some delays leaving Uganda. By the time we got to uh, London, um, which is one of the busiest and largest airports in the world, London Heathrow, we got to Heathrow, and uh, we, had, we didn't have enough time to make our connection. So we get off, and we're the last ones off the plane. We get off the plane, and there's a woman holding a little sign trying to get our attention. We go up to her and she says, we want to make sure we've been tracking your progress. We know you're going to be late. We want to make sure you get there on time. So come with me. And so we walk behind this lady and the whole crowd goes this way and she turns left and we go this way and we just follow behind her and she like swipes a thing and opens this secret passageway and, you know, it's like move the candlestick and kick the thing and things open up 
she knew exactly where to go. We go into this, this like staff elevator. We go down into the basement of Heathrow Airport where there is nobody. There is a hallway that goes for like 25 miles. And we're in this hallway and we're just walking as fast as we can in this hallway. We come up in the other side, go up in an elevator. She gets us out. We are right at the gate. We've passed everybody and all the lines. All we got to do is go through this quick security check and, and we literally didn't even sit down, walked onto the airplane from there and took off and made it home on time. So it was really cool. And the thing that was cool for me as I got on the plane, and I blogged about this if you're following my blog, but I got on the plane and again, I thought, you know what? This is so amazing because here they were tracking our progress. They knew where we were. They knew what was going on with us. They knew where we needed to get to and when we needed to get there. And they provided a way for us to do it. And there was this leader who just told us, we didn't know her from Adam. We didn't know if she could be trusted. We didn't know who she was. She just said, follow me. We followed the leader and we followed Edie's lead in following the leader. And we got where we needed to go. And it just reminded me how God watches over us. He knows where we are. He knows what's going on. He knows about the delays. He knows about the stumbling blocks. He also knows where he's trying to get us to, and he knows how to get us there. And we try to make everything so complicated, and we get all panicky when things don't go right. And he says, listen, follow the leader. I will take you where you need to go. And he did. And that's what he does in our lives. And he's doing the same thing for the children of Reigning Hope. And I'm just so grateful that we get to be this small part of it. And as a church, you all get to be a part of it. Isn't God good?